Welcome to Medically Speaking, Auburn's own medical radio show with host Dr. Mark Vaughn of the Auburn Medical Group and Larry Finney. Welcome to Medically Speaking Radio. This is Dr. Mark Vaughn and... And I'm Larry Finney. And we are glad to be speaking to you about health matters, specifically talking about feet. With Dr. William Gilbrecht. And feet and their smells and their fungi and their pains and yeah but don't don't turn off yet it's it's not going to be that unpleasant <laughs> no 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 because you can't smell through radio no you can hear but you can't smell yeah. sometimes you can see when we do the uh, live video but we're not doing that on this episode yeah we're pre-recorded so don't try to call yes an- another trip out of town but it'll be well worth it at least for us you're going off to your own private idaho right that's correct right. yeah that's a good song we should get that yeah well you know if we had a producer okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is pre-recorded so yeah. we don't get such Social luxuries. Uh, what What about you? What's going on in your uh, your week? Well, uh, I, this week I ran into uh, the venerable Richard Yu. Um, our listeners, longtime Auburn residents, will recognize him as the impresario who, uh, who with his brother Herb, uh, owned and operated the Shanghai Restaurant and Bar. Which was in their family for... Uh, generations. Yeah, like whole century it's been a it's been five years since the shanghai disappeared but as richard was explaining to me it is not as if the shanghai is gone away the shanghai is is like an idea it's a concept and you cannot kill a concept ladies and gentlemen he wanted me to let you know in our listening audience that the shanghai is going to reappear briefly on june the 26th that's a saturday at the event center now that's that's behind the Liquor outlet on on uh, Harrison Avenue. It used to be the old Lucky Store for you long time. And, and more recently, it was the Spotlight, and maybe it was something else. I can't remember. Club Soda with a twist. There, yes, yes, that was the other. Anyway, from four to midnight. So the Shanghai will and, and Jerry Woods and the Torpedoes will be playing, and it'll be more or less kind of like old time. Some of the taxidermy heads will reappear. They'll they'll be there. So other icons. And it'll be sort of a of a, a pilgrimage back there. Um, now, for for you, uh, Auburn PD, you might want to hang out there around midnight. It'll be like hunting bears in a garbage dump. You know what I mean? <laughs> when I think of the Shanghai, I think of that mirror that John Travolta breaks by with his mind. Yeah, yeah. I, that, well, that one might be there too. Who knows? A broken mirror. Yeah, will show up. But uh, and and sh- and the return of a malady that we have noted on this radio show. Shanghai elbow. Shanghai elbow makes it come back. It is. Oh. It's an overuse syndrome. You make me feel bad about this. <laughs> okay. Anyway, what else have we got? Uh, we have a, an interesting thing. A patient was, was speaking to me. It was actually today and said something about, doctor, did you hear about the, uh, the vaccine for melanoma? And not only for melanoma, but for some other skin cancers. Well, I hadn't. So I went and uh, did like... Any uh, studious person would with access to medical literature. I, I Googled. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and what I found was that there is a, an, ex, at least as far as I'm concerned, an expanded definition for the word vaccine. Okay. When I think of vaccine, I think of, uh, I, I'm, I'm taking a shot or whatever, some sort of treatment that will prevent me from getting something else. So I can get a vaccine against polio. I can get a vaccine against tetanus. But, so you're talking in terms of something preventive or, yeah. or primary prevention. Yeah, I don't want that disease, so I'm going to get the vaccine. I'm going to avoid the disease. And that is indeed what a, a, a vaccine is. But there's also uh, an expanded definition of it when it comes to cancer. 
Oh. And, and let me look at it here. So, so this is like the asterisk, the footnote asterisk kind of thing. And here's what it would be. Vaccines can be prophylactic. That, that's what we think of as getting it before you get the infection, usually. You no, know, what we were just talking about. And it can be therapeutic. The example being vaccines against cancer, which are currently being investigated. And that's what this melanoma vaccine is. It's for people to be treated for cancer that they have by taking what the, 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 um, the melanoma has as far as the cells and what identifies it as melanoma uniquely, uh, uniquely melanoma cells and making a vaccine so that your body recognizes that and attacks it with the blood cells and antibodies that attack foreign invaders. So this would be protecting against uh, further spread of an existing condition. Not only further spread, but actually attacking the existing tumor. Oh, so it's... As if it's a bacteria or a virus inside your body. Fascinating. So it would be leaning toward a cure. Or it, it, well, or a yeah, it would essentially be that. A, a, cancer, a cure for cancer with now, a vaccine. Or at least a form of it. Now, how far along are the studies? It looks like the trials will still be going for a while. The trials are actually open right now, and people can uh, look it up on Google to to try to apply to it if they are a person who has melanoma. The uh, timing of it is that it would not be available for general use for patients, melanoma patients, for another two years. And that's if it actually does work as well as they're hoping. Did you say you can apply to be part of the trial? Yeah, but as with any trial, my expectation would be that Yes, you may get the experimental vaccine, but just as likely you could get the placebo, which, you know, for any uh, good study, you if, have to give placebo words, to a certain number to find out if there's a difference between a placebo and the, uh, the whatever uh, drugs being studied. And the placebo, for those of you in Forest Hill, are, are pills that don't work. That's right. They're, they're fake. Double-blinded uh, procedures is what we would want to do, where yeah. not only does the patient not know if they're getting the real thing or the placebo, but even the person giving it to them administering it does not know if they're giving them the real thing or the placebo until they uh after the study look at the numbers and see what the code was to find out were you treated with the real thing or with the uh pretend so if you're a patient under willing to undergo those risks go ahead otherwise you know wait a couple of years yeah. yeah so uh we need to be getting off to our great disclaimer and our commercial and then after we get back we'll be speaking with dr William Gilbrecht, a uh, podiatrist right here in Auburn who operates and treats uh, feet. Until then, uh, listen to our disclaimer. The content of this website and the Medically Speaking Radio Show are meant for entertainment and for general information purposes. No doctor-patient relationship is attempted or implied through the show or the website. Any medical advice, home remedies, and all other medical information on this website or radio show should not be treated as a substitute for the medical advice of your own doctor. Do not attempt any treatment mentioned on the website or the show without consulting your doctor. Always consult your own doctor if you are in any way concerned about your health. If you need a doctor and live near Placer County, call Jen at 530-886-8630. If you have a medical emergency, call 911. Medically Speaking Radio, Dr. Mark Vaughn, Auburn Medical Group, KHI Radio, and or our sponsors are not responsible for any diagnosis or treatment made by anyone based on any of the content of this website or the Medically Speaking Radio Show. 
In addition, the views and opinions expressed on the show or on linked websites are not necessarily those of Dr. Mark Vaughn, Hey Hi Radio, the Auburn Medical Group Incorporated, or any of the show sponsors. Since 1966, Sutter Auburn Faith Hospital has been providing award-winning care to members of the community, to people just like you. The tradition of excellence continues today with our comprehensive family birth center, cancer services, 24-hour emergency care, and a whole range of outpatient services with convenient hours and locations to serve you. In addition, we've been recognized for excellence in managing heart attacks, heart failure, pneumonia, and surgical care. We are one of a select few hospitals in the state to earn recognition from VHA's West Coast region for sustained outstanding clinical performance. To learn more about Sutter Auburn Faith Hospital, visit us on the web at sutterauburnfaith.org slash radio. That's sutterauburnfaith.org slash radio. Sutter Health, with you for life. Larry, have you ever been to Auburn Drug Company? Yeah, that's the one with the marble soda fountain at 815 Lincoln Way. Yeah, right there in front they have the marble fountain, and in back is an independently owned pharmacy right here in Auburn. And that thing has been around for a long time. Since the 1800s. They are so great because they actually fill your prescriptions when you ask them to, unlike the chain drug stores that make you wait. You know, and waiting there wouldn't be a big crime because, heck, you could always go to the soda fountain. That's Auburn Drug Company at 815 Lincoln Way in downtown Auburn. Give them a call at 885-6524. Now, back to Medically Speaking with Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney. Welcome back from the break. This is Medically Speaking Radio on K High AM 950, your voice of the foothills. Larry and I are here, Dr. Mark Vaughn, and we are speaking with Dr. Gilbrecht. Dr. Gilbrecht, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Can you give us just a little bit of introduction so people know who you are, about your background, your training, where your office is, what you practice? Well, I'm a local podiatrist here in Auburn. I've been here 31 years. Uh, before that, I was up in Seattle, Washington, where I did my uh, residency. Before we get too far with that, you're a podiatrist. I've always wondered, do people in the state of Washington, in fact, have webbed toes? No, only in Oregon. Oh, that's Oregon I'm thinking of. That's right. Okay, Oregon I'm sorry. Ducks. Oregon Ducks. <laughs> where were we? I, I took him completely <laughs> off the track. You interrupted him while he was introducing himself. I'm sorry. Uh, podiatry school. Uh, I went to CCPM, which is California College of Podiatry in San Francisco. And uh, after that, I did my residency up in Seattle, Washington, where I worked with a Dr. Stan Newell, and we did sports medicine. And I had the opportunity of working with the Seahawks, the Sonics, uh, and the Huskies, the Washington Huskies. You were up there during the years of uh, Sunny Six Killer, maybe? Uh, downtown Freddie Brown. Okay. Right. Marvin Webster. And from that, how did you end up uh, in Auburn? Um, my wife got pregnant and homesick, and she wanted to be back in California. So we moved on back and looked for a nice small town to live in, and we ended up here in Auburn. You know, in case we've forgotten to mention his, his first name, it's William, I believe, yes? Dr. William, William Gilbrecht. That's right. <laughs> Not to be confused with Dr. Gelbach, who, who is another physician who is in town. Yeah, I used to get some of his night call when oh, I first started. Yeah. Really? yeah. Well, and, and he's a podiatrist, not to be confused with a pediatrician, which that name always seems to me like the people who mess with your feet. The pediatrician would touch your feet, right? But, you know, Latin is, Latin is a funny language, is it not? So what is a podiatrist? 
uh, we're basically doctors that treat the diseases and, and do surgery on the feet only. And so how far up does that go? The ankle? Uh, to the ankle. Tibia? To the ankle, yeah. What is the biggest thing that you're doing um, right now as far as general podiatry procedure? Well, or uh, Probably well, one of the things that have generated most of the interest is uh, laser nail surgery for fungal infected nails. Fungals, uh, fungal infections being treated with laser, um, that's something relatively new. In the past, you've treated it how? Well, uh, usually with oral medication or topical medications. And uh, you know, as a lay person who, uh, I, I don't know what, 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 how would I know I have uh, a fungal infection of my toenail? What does that look like? Or does, does it itch? Do I feel it? Usually, it's a discoloration of the nail and uh, a lifting of the nail, and the nail gets thicker and ingrown, and uh, it becomes very brittle. Usually, it draws attention to itself to the point that people will go and get. Uh, medical attention. Correct. Yeah. So the old treatments, you mentioned oral medications, that would be an antifungal. Yeah. Like uh, probably one of the best is, is a uh, terfinabine, which is uh lamisil orally and it's off patent. So it's relatively inexpensive now compared to the $400 a course or whatever it used to cost. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention any names, but there is a pharmacy right across from our office that gives you the whole three months supply for about $25. Oh, wow. That's really come down from what yeah. it used to be. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> you go ahead. <laughs> Offline if you want. <laughs> Certainly that information is available if we call them on the phone. Um, do you take patients that bring themselves in or do you require consults from another physician? Either way. You know, Either one. Okay. Yeah. So if somebody sees that they have the nails, hears us talking about this new treatment and wants to have it, they can just call your office. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, what we'll do is at the end, give you an opportunity to throw out your phone number so that people can get that. So okay. they can go ahead and do that. So the old treatments we were talking about, the, uh, ter, I can never get said, is it terbenafine or terfenabine? Terfenabine. Yeah. Terfenabine. Uh, used to be expensive, uh, requires checking liver function tests. You uh, still do that throughout. I, I do it on a monthly basis. I, I don't know how often you do I it. I do. I get a baseline and then do it a month. And if nothing's changed, I just let them finish it out. Okay. Of course. Yeah. And then it's not, a hundred percent. Both both treatments are actually eighty five percent successful. And that's okay. the best we have. When you say both, you're talking about the laser also. The laser also. And there's another treatment, the uh, lacquer that people can the, paint oh, their toenails with. Penlac. Yeah, uh, it's got about a four percent cure rate. Four percent cure rate. Yeah, I don't prescribe it because it's very expensive. Wow. And it doesn't sound like it works that way. <laughs> no, it does. Four <laughs> percent. What is it? One in 25 chance of it working? Wow. On top of being expensive, yeah. Well, so the, the, the laser, or no laser, yeah, it was a total laser surgery, but would you say 75% on that? or Seven, Now, is that? 85, I'm sorry. Oh, 85. Well, okay, so is that um, painful? No, there's no pain involved, and there's no risk to, to the body from a, a, a somewhat toxic medication. What so are the basics of the, really the laser treatment? How does it, how's uh, it done? How's it done? It's a uh, YAG laser, and it, and uh, every we usually treat every nail on the foot, uh, despite whether they look involved or not, just to pre- try to prevent recurrence. But uh, it's one treatment. takes about 45 minutes. There's no pain involved. And uh, usually takes about six to eight months for it to clear. Because the whole, na- whole new nail has to grow out? Grow out, so yeah. The, you shed the old... The nail that's been affected... 
it will always look that way. Well, if it's been damaged. And then as the new nail grows, you see... You see clear nail coming at in. The be, base. At the base, correct. Okay. Yep. What are some of the other treatments? Uh, were there surgical treatments in the past that would be used, or even still? Um, you know, I've, in 31 years, I've tried just about everything to uh, cure fungal nails. And uh, at, sometimes we'll do partial avulsions or total avulsions or even a matrixectomy to get rid of the nail permanently. So that's where you actually kill it so it won't grow anymore Correct. kill the cells put in a you have a no chemical nail. yeah chemical or laser or whatever you want to do what's uh if somebody has to pay cash for that or, or is it covered by insurance uh laser is not covered by insurance it's considered cosmetic and therefore it's uh, out of pocket how much does treatment run for the all 10 of them uh usually it runs about 850 for the treatment and economically, Lamisil is much more economic than the laser is. Now, is it the laser treatment that's not covered, or is it any treatment for toe fungus that's not covered? Laser treatment that's not covered. So if I took the pills, that would be covered because that's not cosmetic? Correct. Oh, I guess it's cosmetic, but they're willing to pay for that. Yeah, you know? go figure. See, so the, so the cosmetic argument kind of wears a little uh, thin there. I, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> There's Basically, what they're saying they is, want we, to pay we, we, yeah, we'll go the cheap route. We'll pay for the cheap. Yep. And, and as far as this argument of is toenail fungus treatment medical or cosmetic, uh, there actually can be complications from letting it go untreated. Yeah, you can get uh, ingrown in, in uh, infected nails. And as, say if you're diabetic, you definitely don't want to have the risk of having an infection. And then that, that fungus can actually infect skin, not just nail. Yeah, it can go into the skin and you can transfer it from scratching your feet. You can you know, transfer it up your leg. It's a form of athlete's foot that's in the nail. That's what it is. What are the what are the commonest things that you see? Well, before we get into that, I I, I ran across a junk news article today. Let's see if I can find it here. Larry, a junk news article? Yeah, I, I'm fond of my junk news articles. This one, the headline says, "Flip flops, a health hazard." It's not a political uh, article. It is. This is about actual flip flops. The the footwear. Hey, we're coming in finally. We're getting some, some weather here, some, some flip-flop weather. Um, so the person talks about seeing a sign on their river cruise passenger or uh, cruise ship that said flip-flops were not allowed. And yeah, I'll skip down. The, 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 the punchline says that according to a number of studies by the American Podiatry Medical Association, the flimsy footwear can be a major health hazard if worn for more than a few hours. And they cite that uh, if you wear them a long time, you could run into problems with knees, hips, ankles, toes. Short-term issues are uh, heel pain, tendonitis, arch pain, shin splints, sprains, splinters, cuts, injuries involving the toes. And then long-term health issues, including stress fractures, hmm, hammer toes, and bunions. Um, have you ever seen any injuries that are, you could say are flip-flop related? Well, it, it, the foot's in a, in a flip-flop, but it's not protected one, so it's easier to run into things. But the major thing that uh, with flip-flops is there is really uh, no medial arch support. So that causes the foot to pronate, and then that changes your postural complex, which can put torsion on the knees, cause help development of bunions and hammer toes and uh, plantar fasciitis. That's probably one of the most common things I see in the office. And, uh, you know, it can go right up to the knees to the low back. So the, the article does, in fact, go on to say that the uh, American Podiatry Medical Association suggests that if you are going to wear flip-flops, 
they have an approved list. They don't say where to go for that approved list, but uh, they tend to be the more expensive brands, the $60, $70 a pair of brands. So, in fact, I see, Doctor, that you're wearing a pair of, well, what we would call flip-flops. Flip-flops, yeah. Yes, and, and are yours of the more uh, expensive well, if you look around, you can usually get some good quality ones for less expense. I think I paid around 25 for these, and they're Tevas. And Teva has a very good arch built into it, and they're very comfortable. And I usually wear them maybe 10% of the time that I'm, you know, ambulating and walking around. And it's and it's when it's hot, and I'm not doing much of anything. What I'm noticing is that the uh, the strap in the back goes very far back, all the way almost to the heel. Compared to what I'm used to seeing on flip-flops, it's, it's more in a forward position on the foot. Yeah, it's, it gives you a little more stability in the, in the flip-flop, but uh, I wouldn't recommend trying to run or hike in them. Well, and the strap is also wide. It's a good, what, inch and a half wide, mm-hmm. not the so little skinny. Yeah. What, what, what's the difference between a flip-flop and a thong? Well, in my day... When we spoke of thongs, we meant flip-flops. Those are an interchangeable term. Nowadays, it's a completely different thing. Yeah, I think it's a women's fashion. <laughs> <laughs> or, sh- or should remain so. Yeah. Uh, now, am I observing a little bit of um, angulation of your great toe there? Mm-hmm. Is, is that another problem that is, is common among uh, uh, patients of your office? Uh, bunions, uh, another very common thing I see. Uh, and 90% of bunions are inherited. And in the old days, they used to blame it on shoes, but shoes aggravate it. But it's it's our genetic makeup that gives us this problem. And for our listeners who are unfamiliar with that, is a bunion something that's growing out of the side of their foot? Or is it a problem with the angle of the bone? It's more of an angle of the bone, and it's a subluxation or dislocation at the great toe joint. So the, the great toe or the big toe starts to point toward the little toe. Correct. And in the process, that joint with the foot um, actually starts to go. Well, the uh, first metatarsal point. Toward the other foot. Yeah. yeah. Points, points okay. inwardly. It, and uh, what, what treatments do we have for that? Uh, usually in the younger generation, like kids, we'll oftentimes use orthotics to uh, apply medial arch support to take the pressure off of that joint. Uh, we sometimes use that in adults as well, and it can uh, put off or delay or, or, or prevent having a surgical repair. And that's an insert they would put into their regular mm-hmm. shoe? Correct. Okay. I'm going to ask, I always associated bunions with the older crowds, so people like ourselves. How often do you see bunions in, in youngsters? Yours. I've, I've actually had to do a uh, surgical procedure on a 12-year-old girl who couldn't wear shoes because of the pain. So... That's usually the youngest, you know, you don't want, you want the growth plates in that to be closed before you consider any surgical procedure. And that can be avoided if you catch it early enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, do, do they often occur in both feet? The, for some reason, the left foot seems to be more common and I can't tell you why. It just okay. turns out that way. Okay. Uh, we are speaking with Dr. William Gilbrecht. We're talking about feet because he is a podiatrist. We will be back after these messages. This is Dr. Mark Vaughn. I want to tell you about my dentist, Rodney Kihara. His office is located right in town at High Street and Auburn Folsom Road. His staff is pleasant. They smile when you walk in, and you know who they are because they're there every time. We're talking about flow, 
Cheryl, and Judy. Their pleasant faces welcome you into the office and let you know that you're in the right spot, a comfortable place to go to the dentist. Call Dr. Kihara's office at 888-1966. That's 888-1966. Few things in life are harder than thinking about serious illness or the death of someone you love. Research confirms that Americans want the basic services that hospice provides. Care at home or in a home-like setting. Treatment that preserves a sense of dignity and respect. Emotional and spiritual support for patients and for their families. And effective pain management. Hospice helps patients and their families deal with end-of-life challenges in a life-affirming, compassionate way that brings dignity, hope, and love to every day of life. This message of love and caring is the focus of hospice care. This message is brought to you by Sutter Auburn Faith Hospice. We can be reached at 886-6650 or click on the link for Sutter Auburn Faith Hospice on the Medically Speaking Radio website. The doctor would say don't stick anything in your ear. Unless, of course, it's medically speaking. On K-High, the voice of the foothills. Now, back to Medically Speaking with Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney. Welcome back from the break. This is Medically Speaking Radio with your hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney. And our guest this week is Dr. William Gilbrick, podiatrist right here in Auburn. Uh, Dr. Gilbrick, other foot problems that are common that people may uh, wonder about or, or have questions about, what is and, and how do you treat plantar fasciitis? Well, the first thing you have to understand is is what it is. There's a ligament on the bottom of the foot that runs from the ball of the foot and inserts into the heel. And it's there are three bands, but it's the medial band, the one on the inside of your foot, that causes most of the trouble. And what happens is that band gets overstretched. If somebody has a tight Achilles and the foot can't bend up, that weight is transferred to that plantar fascia. Or if their foot rolls in or collapses, the foot gets longer when it collapses, and that ligament has a further distance to cover. Collapses um, medially down, or okay, medially. Yeah, rolling in, yeah. rolling in. So in other words, you're 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 stretching the sole of your foot too much. Yeah, it's an overstretched uh, ligament, and ligaments don't stretch very well. So it usually gives back at the heel. It's the most common spot. What I've run into is I see a lot of patients that have been diagnosed with plantar fasciitis, and it's not necessarily plantar fasciitis. Sometimes it can be tarsal tunnel syndrome. It can be a neuroma, heel neuroma. Uh, it can be uh, Achilles tendinosis or uh, that ends up making the plantar fascia sore. Or it can be even a stress fracture in the heel. Yes, we need to define neuroma for those who don't know. Not, it's not to be confused with aroma, where your feet smell, but a neuroma. <laughs> A neuroma is a is a tumor of uh, a nerve that's been damaged or injured. So what is the classic uh, plantar fasciitis pain location and pattern? Classic plantar fasciitis, a uh, person gets up in the morning, exquisitely painful in the heel. They walk a little bit. It feels better because they stretch it out. And if they sit down and get up again, the, the heel pain returns immediately, and they go through the same process. And it tends to get a little, little worse towards the end of the day. What's uh, prevention or treatment? Well, you, you want to you basically have some medial arch support. Uh, I see a lot of retired people that when they retire, they get out of their good shoes and start wearing uh, Nikes and 
and soft sole shoes all the time. Flip flops. <laughs> flip flops. Yeah. And, and they have no support and they start having these symptoms. What What's the uh, way to treat it once it's happened? Uh, probably initially, uh, the simplest thing someone can do is is go to your local store and buy an over-the-counter arch support and do some icing and stretching to stretch the ligament, but most importantly, stretch the Achilles tendon. I, I see a number of these arch supports available locally in all, all of your big chain pharmacies and, and the small ones. Is there, I think we're, we're probably okay recommending brands. Um, is there one that you favor over another? or I like Superfeet. They come in different uh, stiffnesses, uh, and it's denoted by color. I like the green one the best. Uh, Spenco uh, has an arch support that you can heat in hot water and and mold to your foot. Uh, It's a little black plastic with neoprene on the top. And uh, those two are probably the best ones out there. Okay. What would one typically expect to pay for a pair of those? Probably in the $30 range. So 30 bucks to get rid of your pain. And and this is a... That's non-surgical. I guess that would be the first intervention would be these inserts. And if it, and if it doesn't work, where do you go from there? Uh, there are night splints that you can wear at night to maintain the stretch on the ligament. There's physical therapy to help, help you uh, be a little more committed to stretching. And uh, sometimes even a, a cam walker to immobilize the foot if it doesn't want to get better. Yeah. Now, does it ever end in a surgical intervention? Um, I would say 95% do not require surgery. And in the, as far as surgery, uh, there are many new modalities. There's shockwave therapy. There's a new treatment called topaz, and where you actually puncture the ligament and make little holes in it to help it stretch. And uh, then there's the old uh, plantar fascia release. It's a surgically released part of the ligament from the heel bone. Injection therapy before you get to that point? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, a local steroid injection. You don't want to do too many, maybe maybe maximum three in a year. Okay, so but that sounds like the extreme end of things. It would have to be all other interventions have failed and you're still in great pain. But it, just from our discussion, it would seem that, that plantar fasciitis is fairly easy to treat. It, it may take mm-hmm. a little while and fairly inexpensive. Yeah, it should be. And uh, it's it's a mechanical problem, really. And if you treat the mechanics, oftentimes you, you'll resolve the problem. So the location of this pain is kind of right under the heel, maybe a little bit forward from the back of the foot. Yeah, or or even in the center of the heel in some or even cases. Even the center. And so if we go a little bit further back to the uh, the very back of the heel and start going up a little bit towards the ankle, then you're dealing with the Achilles. You can also get a tendonitis there too. Correct. Yeah. Um, a lot of similarities to uh, the uh, plantar fasciitis. Yeah, the same mechanics uh, can often set off the Achilles tendinosis as well. Maybe a, a little simpler thing. This is probably not plantar fasciitis. My my uh, daughter works in retail presently and is on her feet all day and will come home and complain of general foot soreness. Not not a big deal, but, she, you know, gee, she says, what I wouldn't give for a foot massage. My feet are sore. Um, and I'm thinking, what's that? Does anybody take her up on that? Uh, usually her mom. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, you know, the being a female, she's wearing the not, not, not high heels, but you know, fashion type shoes or, or soles that, that in my estimation are very, very thin soles. And you, you've, you've seen the kind, is that her issue? They're just, 
Well, for any job, you should wear the appropriate shoe gear for that job. And if you're in retail working on cement all day, uh, you want to avoid high heels. You want want a, a softer sole shoe and uh, something that's going to give you some support. And you kind of have to sacrifice a little bit of fashion for comfort. For comfort. We, we were talking about following the uh, heel back on up to the Achilles tendon, which is right behind the uh, the heel, goes up to the ankle. Achilles tendinosis, very similar to the plantar fasciitis, as we said. What is the treatment for that? Or I guess we should start with, what are the symptoms? Well, it can be anywhere along the, uh, the Achilles tendon, all the way up to the muscle in the calf, which is the gastroc muscle. And uh, some people are just born with a tight Achilles tendon. It's called an Aquinas. When you see little kids that are toe walkers, that's an Aquinas. Some of them do it to look cute, but some kids can't get their heel to the ground. So, you know, a good stretching uh, regimen is excellent. You know, uh, icing it down, sometimes some oral anti-inflammatories. A cheap form of that is Advil. uh, But you have to take it on a consistent basis to get the anti-inflammatory effect. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes a little heel lift in the shoe. You know, if a person has a real tight Achilles, a little heel lift is good too, maybe a half inch. Ultrasound therapy with the... Uh, If you have that available, ultrasound... uh, there are also some topical anti-inflammatories available now, too, that you can apply. And how long can that take to fix? Uh, I would think it was if it was a um, not a severe Achilles tendinosis, probably three or four weeks, you should be, be able to get and back. As far as activity, like running? Running, uh, stretching, uh, playing. Basketball is one of the worst because yeah. it's ballistic and you're jumping up and down. But uh yeah, running is, it would be a safer one to do, or walking even. Okay. So what about even in highly conditioned athletes? You mentioned that you used to work with the, the Seattle Sonics. Did you run into Achilles tendonitis with those guys? Uh, I ran into the same problems we have here every day, except you might say they're a little more intensified. Plus the pressure's on you a little more because you've got a million-dollar player sitting on the bench and so you have to you have to figure out how to treat it and still keep them playing without them getting hurt, and uh, that's a real art sometimes. Uh, other foot problems that are, are fairly common, and we we have um, athlete's foot. You had talked a little bit about fungus. Uh, how is athlete's foot acquired, and how is it prevented, and how is it treated? Well, athlete's foot is a contagious uh, organism. It's it's a form of a fungus. A lot of people ask me what the difference between a fungus and a, and a bacteria. A, a fungus is more vegetative and uh, uh, it, it grows from spores and, and uh, so uh, it's a little bit different. But it likes a dark, warm, moist environment such as the inside of a shoe. So part of treating the fungus is getting rid of the moisture. And sometimes I have people soak uh, in salt water with a little uh, white vinegar in it. And it changes the acidity on the skin and that helps. The other way is to reduce the uh, sweating, and you can use an antiperspirant. Same antiperspirant you use under your arm, you can use on your feet. And since it is a moist environment, uh, taking a, a, you know, if you're having a real problem with it, changing socks to a new pair of socks in the middle of the day, like during the lunch hour. Changing shoes. Changing shoes. Yeah. And in some cases where you have the odor associated with the, with the uh, moisture, uh, that's usually caused by bacteria breaking down some of the dead skin or breaking down parts of the shoe, shoe leather. And so it's sometimes a topical antibiotic like uh, topical clindamycin will eliminate the bacteria that cause the odor. And as far as just odor in general? Um, 
I've had some kids take a, a nylon stocking that their mothers used and fill it with uh, a little uh, like cat litter with the chloroform in it and stuff it in the shoes and then alternate the shoes and that'll help the shoe to dry out and get rid of the odor. That's a good one. We're going to have to do that. <laughs> you know what we can do? I have a better idea. We manufacture them and sell them. Shoes with the, uh, the, the kitty litter built right into yeah. it? Yeah, yeah but, and, but what will we call it? Pussyfoot? I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or puss in boots? If, if, they're, if they're boots? I don't know. Yeah, uh, you were talking about the uh, shoes. In general, what advice would you give people regarding footwear selection? Do they, should they just go down to the uh, discount store and pick up whatever's on sale? Um, they should definitely get their foot measured, and you should buy your shoes at the end of the day because that's when your feet are the biggest. Oh. And uh, make sure you have someone there that knows how to measure your foot. And you just don't go in and buy the same size all the time because your foot does change. Everybody thinks they're the same, but they're not. I've noticed that with particular shoe brands. Yeah. You know, if you wear a size 10 and a half in this brand, this other brand is, well, I'll just tell you, in my case, Nike's got to go a half a size bigger. That depends where they're made, too. And, you know, they have European sizes and American sizes. And And you need to quit getting those uh, knockoff ones that are cheap made out of the country. (laughs) The little swoosh goes the wrong direction or is upside down. Uh, we do need to take a break here. We're speaking with Dr. William Gilbreck about feet because he's a podiatrist. We'll be back after this break. This is Dr. Mark Vaughn. I wanted to let you know a little bit about our practice at the Auburn Medical Group. The physician, nurses, and front desk personnel all approach the patient asking themselves the question, how would I want to be treated if I was in the patient's shoes? Listen to what one of our patients has to say about her experience at the Auburn Medical Group. My name is Susie Brown. I just want to sincerely thank that group of people for being there for me in some emergency situations. They are very efficient. Their staff, including their receptionist, even when you call her, she's got uh, sympathy and compassion for you. And when you're ill, that's what you need. The nurses, the nurse staff is wonderful. And Dr. Vaughn listens to everything you say, and they just get on things. They do not let anything lag. If you need a doctor... Call us at 886-8630 or look at our website at auburnmedicalgroup.com. Now, back to Medically Speaking with Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney. Welcome back from the break. This is Medically Speaking Radio. This is Dr. Mark Vaughn with co-host Larry Finney, and we are speaking with Dr. William Gilbreck about feet. Dr. Gilbreck Gilbreck is a podiatrist here in town. And what were you going to ask him there? Well, earlier in the interview, he mentioned that he worked with professional athletes. And I didn't want to let this go quite because I've always wondered this about myself. I've, I've gone in for various knee problems or Achilles problems or whatever, not, not to Dr. Gilbrecht, but to others. And I've often wondered to myself, why can't you treat me like you would treat Michael? If I was Michael Jordan and it was costing millions of bucks to keep me out of the game... Um, why couldn't you accelerate the process and get me back? And you, you'd earlier said that there's that art form of, of um, treating them quickly without exacerbating the injury. How, how does one go about that? And why wouldn't that be available to the general public? 
some of it is, but you have to remember uh, professional athletes, their, their locker rooms are uh, incredibly loaded with uh, physical therapy equipment and trainers and they're all ready to jump in and, and do their thing. Whereas a, a patient on the outside has to make an appointment to go to physical therapy. It's an additional cost. And so you try to treat it as economically as possible, but in as quickly as possible. But when you're when you're a professional athlete, there's no whole bar. The, the cost doesn't come into to to it. One time I was uh, treating Paul Silas, and he had a, a great toe arthritis, but he's also a spokesman for Pony Shoes. He endorsed Pony Shoes, so he couldn't bend his big toe. So we had to make him a shoe that would allow him to play without bending his toe. And we had to put pony on it so that he can continue to get his endorsements. <laughs> Excellent. So what you're basically saying is, I don't live with a doctor. I don't have a, a, a trainer, uh, an army of trainers in my house, and um, <laughs> have a have a uh, rehab gym right there. Number wise, you figure for the the MRI machine or for the you know the trainers or whatever. General public, we've got tens of thousands of people using the same amount of facility that's available as maybe a single sports team, single professional sports team. Would that be accurate? Yes. Yeah. They've complete uh, clinics in their, in their locker rooms. Well, this, this begs the question, do you have any other uh, good athletic anecdotes from uh, your, your pro uh, treatment days? Now the question that jumps in my head, are, are we violating HIPAA <laughs> <laughs> confidentiality or, or is it public when it's a, a sports uh, I don't know. You may not have to name names, but. Uh. Well, I, I could tell you a little story about the Western states. And uh, I used to work Michigan Bluff, and that's, I guess that's about the 50-mile distance. Now, now, I can't imagine that there's anyone in the listening audience who doesn't know what the Western states is. But we're referring to the Western states 100-mile endurance race that goes from Squaw Valley and ends at uh, Placer High School in Auburn. It, uh, in fact, it's kicking off here pretty quick here. Um, and, and remember, Larry, it does go through Forest Hill. Yes. So I won't say any, no Forest Hill joke here, but Auburn is the endurance capital of the world. Anyway, go ahead, Doc. Uh, yeah, I was at Michigan Bluff, and when the runners come in, uh, we check them for complaints at the foot and treat that, but we also weigh them to see what percent body loss uh, occurs during the race. And this one particular individual had lost quite a bit of weight, and he was pretty dehydrated. And one of the uh, guys working with me had a McDonald's cap on, and when he stepped up to get weighed, he ordered a, a Big Mac and a large Coke, and he thought he was at McDonald's. So he was hallucinating quite quite a bit. Well, that would put the weight back on. Yeah. I thought you were going to – I've worked with the Western States gang myself as a pacer and different things, and I have uh, not only heard of, but I've seen guys put rocks in their pockets or one guy carry a, a heavy, uh, like a monkey wrench up onto the scale so that he wouldn't be – Bag for, yeah. for uh, excessive weight loss because they're, they're looking for dehydration, obviously. Yeah, they're only hurting themselves, you know, and uh, if they want to take that risk because you can hurt your kidneys. Uh, right, and we do see that at the end of the race. Some people really look like they have bad problems, but, but yet many of them recover very nicely uh, with rehydration and just giving a little bit of attention. Uh, things that you would have treated as far as the muscle breakdown and kidneys, clears right up in many of these runners. A fun thing to do sometimes is go to the, uh, they have a little uh, ceremony afterwards where they have pasta and whatnot, and go there and watch the uh, the poor runners go up and get their awards. 
they don't look too comfortable. The the walking wounded. Yeah, we I've, I've done that one too. You'll watch them limping up to the podium to get their award if if they can even walk. Now, in your working with the Western states, is your involvement strictly uh, podiatry or do you do just general medicine as well? Uh, mostly podiatry. Uh, sometimes you get a little shorthanded, so you jump in and help out where you can. And uh, but most of the time, it's uh, we have tables set up just for the feet, and uh, the crew is coming in, and they have new shoes, new socks. Uh, you know, some of them carry their own uh, pharmaceutical bandages and treatments. Such. Are you doing the race this year? Uh, no, I kind of retired from it. I just got burned out, and uh, so I don't do it anymore. I'm wondering what kind of things you treat them for is. Because these these ultra runners, I imagine, probably come to the game with their own problems. I mean, it's because it's a long term. I, I paced a guy from Canada one time who <laughs> he ran the entire race with a stress fracture in his left foot and refused to, to uh, have anything done about it. The ones we mostly have trouble with are from out of the country that come long distances and have no crew. Uh, we had some from New Zealand one time that had one pair of shoes. And, I mean, they have no clue that they're going to be running in creeks and up and down snow and in mud and dirt and dust. And uh, just a clean pair of socks sometimes is is worth a million dollars from, you know, a little help here and there. Yeah, yeah they run the whole gamut of, of people who show up with uh, probably like motorhomes filled with gear. You know, so like, like you're talking about working with the Seattle Supersonics and, and – all the gear that they have, endless supplies. And some of these sponsored runners really have some good stuff. Other guys, they'll just show up <laughs> with one pair of shoes and, you know, not even a flashlight, not realizing they're going to be running at night. Now, but what I was I was getting to is, is there anything you can do for them immediately? You know, if it, it I, I guess it's injury-related. I, I mean, if a guy has a stress fracture, you're probably going to yank him out of the race. I would if, if I knew I had it. Uh Blisters and that side of stuff, we just we a lot of times drain them and put a little neosporin inside the blister. Uh, we use uh, Spenco Second Skin, uh, all kinds of foam padding. Uh, we've had some people with ankle sprains that we tape up and and that sort of thing. Uh, anything severe or severe de- dehydration, they're on IVs and they're pretty much out of it at that point. But uh, there are some people that uh, it's a lark to them. I don't know how they do it, but. We used to have this one guy, the cutoff point was 11 o'clock, and he'd come strolling in at around 10 and sit down and have a hot dog and a Coca-Cola and then take off before they shut the, the checkpoint down. Yeah, I, it, it's amazing what a little food will get into them and perk them right up. But I, I have never considered that event a lark. That's not something you just wake up one morning and go. You watch well, the women run. They, some of them come in, and there isn't a hair out of place. Yeah. Just amazing. Well, and the thing is, it, it can't be run as a lark. You have to Prepare. have entered a lottery. Yeah, you prove your preparation by having run certain distances within a certain um, uh, recency of time for the actual race. But, no, you, you don't get to just wake up and say, hey, that looks like fun. I think I'm going to do that this weekend. You know? Yeah, the lean beans do the best. I remember we had some Marines come and run, and they are very well muscled, but they didn't last very long. And, and the ones that tend to do well are the ones that are – have trained on this particular trail and in this terrain. I mean, they may have run 100-mile races before, but um, this is a completely different course and different than they're used to. And as you mentioned, water crossings, um, ascents, descents, Temperature. snow. snow, oh, snow. Yeah. Probably going to have a lot of snow this year at the front end. You know, so they're, they're, they have 
what do they call those things, crampons on their shoes or even snowshoes, shuffle over the top and then change their into their into their running shoes. Any other great Western state stories besides? Uh, see, I, you probably don't treat hallucinations. That's that's one. If he's if the guy's ordering a Big Mac, it, yeah. it's, you're done. You know. <laughs> yeah, I had uh, one individual that had worn the wrong shoes and, and socks, and he basically sloughed the bottom of his foot, the skin on. Them. So there's nothing we can do at that point. It's like keep him comfortable, and you know, of course, we pull him out. You know, I, I've actually seen um, something, some a phenomena that they'll come into an aid station, and there's there's blood gushing through the the mesh uh toe part through the toe box of their um their shoes and they complain of their toenails what's going on there well a lot of them lose their toenails and most runners are familiar with black toenails and it's usually from going down hills and the foot sliding forward into the shoe and the pressure on the nail you get bleeding underneath it and uh the blisters get so bad that the nail totally lifts off and, and they, they do bleed through. The problem with the runners is they don't want to get pulled. They have a lot invested in training and time and money. And uh, a lot of times they'll try and hide some injuries so they don't get pulled. That one's hard to hide. You can see the blood coming through the shoe. But, yeah, it's uh, the running down the hill. The, their, their toe bangs into the toe box and rams the, the toenail back repeatedly. And after a while, something gives, you know. But... Uh, on a daily basis, Doc, what do you see here come, walking into your office? And what's the commonest thing that you treat? Well, probably the most common thing is, is heel pain. Uh, and then I see bunions and hammer toes and uh, mycotic nails. There's another common thing that I see. A mycotic nail? What's fungal that? nail. Oh, thing. fungal. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, industrial injuries? Uh, yeah, I saw a gal one uh, came in one day that uh, she dropped a, she was working in a, a kitchen and she dropped a knife in the top of her foot. And managed to cut the extensor tendon all the way in half, and so oh, the extensor tendon is the one that allows them allows to, the big toe to pull up, and allows the big toe to pull up, yeah, to okay. pull it up, and so uh, naturally we had to take her over and repair it so she could still walk so, properly. So you do that part, you do mm-hmm. the tendon repair and all that. And the other thing I see a lot of is diabetic uh, foot complications. Yeah, what, what's going on there? Well, diabetes is a, a disease that affects small uh, blood vessels in the foot. Typically, diabetics, they're worried about their eyes, their kidneys, and their feet. And what happens is slowly but surely, the the circulation gets worse and worse in the foot. They get uh, neuropathy, which is a loss of sensation in the foot, so they can't feel themselves getting hurt. And they may walk on something all day long and not a little rock in their shoe and not know it and end up with a big wound. And then you got to try and heal it. Yeah, and I I know that there's an associate loss of you know, the possible loss of, of the toes or the foot. Is it that lack of blood circulation? I think that's the, the, the primary uh, cause. And then the, you got to think a diabetic has, if they have high blood sugar, it's a perfect environment for bacteria to grow. It's like blood auger. It doesn't sound too fun. Um, let's, uh, how, do, how do we prevent that? That's a whole different topic, isn't it? Well, yeah, ounce of uh, prevention is a pound of cure, as they say. Just uh, patient education and... Uh, you know, so much of the things that we talk about on this show, the topics are, in terms of prevention, are lifestyle things. It's, you know, it all comes back over and over and over lifestyle. You know, quit smoking, don't drink so much, get off the couch, <laughs> move around, you know, move more, eat less. That is exactly it. As far as the diabetes prevention, there's uh, just a whole area of medicine that addresses it. Actually, Dr. Gilbreck and I have a bit of an overlap as far as what we do because He'll do um, all the foot stuff for diabetics, as I'll do quite a bit of it 
And, and one of the things that we do is we'll actually check their feet for a sensation with a little nylon monofilament every year or six months to make sure that they're able to actually tell that they're being touched on the bottom and the top of the foot, inspect the feet for any break in the skin, educating the patients to, to look at their feet daily. That's something we tell all the diabetics is every day, look at every part of the surface of your foot. And like he was saying, they, they start to lose sensation and then they don't know that they're injured. And that's where the problem comes. The, the infections, uh, you get infections you just don't see in people who don't have diabetes. And I would, I would expect a regular part of your practice is actually just treating these infections, skin infections, yeah, and, and bone infections. And sometimes amputations. And, and a significant fact is that if a diabetic has one amputation, within five years he'll have another. So you, you get that first one, you really want to jump on it and, and be good, take good care of it because uh, so many people play games with their disease. We promised earlier in the broadcast that we would uh, allow you a chance to let the listeners know where your where your practice is located and how to get a hold of you. Well, I'm at uh, 3250 Professional Drive in Auburn, right next door to Dr. Vaughn. <laughs> it's a good spot. Yeah. And my, my number is 530-823-7171. And, and say that again in case somebody was uh, rushing to get some paper and they want that number of the podiatrist. Five three zero eight two three seven one seven one. Okay, and uh, that kind of brings us to the end of another show of Medically Speaking Radio. Doctor Gilbert, thank you so much for uh, joining us on this show and for uh, being able to talk about feet with uh, the whole foothills area. My pleasure. Feet hills area. The feet hills. The voice of the feet hills. The foothills. Yeah. <laughs> Hills, yeah. Uh, Medically Speaking Radio is brought to you by Sutter Auburn Faith Hospital, Sutter Auburn Hospice, uh, Auburn Medical Group, which is right next door to Dr. Gilbrick's office. We also have advertisers. We ask you to uh, let them know that you listen to the show. That would be Dr. Rodney Kihara, the dentist, and Auburn Drug Company right in downtown Auburn. We also encourage you to look at our website, uh, which is auburnmedicalgroup.com, because there you can see a discussion on the Facebook fan page, and you can actually become a fan on Facebook. You can also see some of the uh, pre-recorded videos from previous shows. Uh, you can go to the podcasts and listen to old episodes if there's a subject particularly interests you there, or you can just go to iTunes and search for Medically Speaking Radio. If you do use iTunes and that's how you're listening to us, please rate our program on iTunes. That'll help us out. Also, if you speak to any of our sponsors, let them know that you enjoy the show because we do have to renew our contract <laughs> and we want them to think people are listening uh, as we know you are because you call in and write to us and tell us we sound echoey when we pre-record it and <laughs> you can hear the airplane flying overhead until next time this is Dr. Vaughn Larry Finney and Dr. Gilbrecht telling all of you to stay in good health